With episodes nearing 350 in the Stages archive, it's time to revisit conversations featured in our previous seasons. Stages spotlight such episodes in case you missed them the first time round, or so you can simply savour a second listen. Either way, you'll be accessing precious oral histories from the people who were there on and around our stages. In February 2020, we lost a great artist. Maureen Howard was a star across many platforms. Radio, television, musical theatre, operetta and opera. Stages was enraptured to be in her company and record a conversation of such extraordinary history, contagious humour and fierce reflection. Long after the recording stopped, Maureen entertained with anecdote and cheeky reminiscence. It was a thrill to be in her audience, even in her kitchen. Maureen was a wonderful human being. She was also a very fine artist of whichever form she chose to interpret. Please enjoy this treasured memory from the Stages Archive when we visited Maureen Howard. With my ruby mantle and peppermint tenderness, I yum tiki tiki tum tum, I yum tiki tiki tum. When I peek, I can see you from a black ringolets. Yum yum tiki tiki tum tum, yum yum tiki tiki tum. I keep millions of Spaniards on fire, they admire. Yum yum tiki tiki tum tum, I avoid tarantellas and a spurn minuet. Cause they don't tiki tiki tum tum, they don't tiki tiki tum, they don't tiki tiki tum 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 tum. A brief stint as a hairdresser led Maureen Howard to a career in musical theatre and then opera, after a customer inquired one day if she'd planned to do anything with her singing. Howard had been a regular performer on Channel 7's Sunny Side Up in the early years of television in Australia. Roles in The Music Man, Man of La Mancha and The Most Happy Fella for the Garnet Carroll organisation quickly followed, allowing her to explore the possibilities of her voice. Proving that she had an instrument that could extend to opera, she soon established herself as one of the country's leading voices, singing roles in Madame Butterfly, Tosca and La Boheme during the 1970s. In recent years, she returned to Opera Australia to perform the role of Lady Macbeth and as the witch in Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel. Her final performance was that of old Heidi in Follies in Concert, singing the ethereal One More Kiss. Maureen is a wonderful character. She's effervescent and a most entertaining host. She made me a sandwich, a cup of tea, and away we went. So after a career where your voice has been so um, crucial to to your work, um, how long have you been retired or stopped singing? Oh, must be 20 years now. Do Do you still sing? I do, though I went to sing the other day, a friend of mine was over from France, I worked with, and his name was Brian, like Brian Castle's Onion, our friend. Our friend, yeah. And uh, and I went, we were leaving, I hadn't seen him for 30 years, and uh, I was, I sort of, want, he started to sing because he was a repetitor, and, and I started to sing the song with him, and my voice would, it was, it just wouldn't come. Mind you, I was walking down a big hill like that, Fright Night 4. But in the end, I got a few notes out. But round the house, I'm surprised that, uh, that, uh, that I do sing with, because I always have music playing now. And uh, I think, hmm, that's not bad. Well, that, that, that vocal apparatus is a muscle, really, isn't it? Yes. And if you're not using but it But, of the course, time. the thing is, you've, you've had a big career and sometimes people end up without a voice whatsoever. You know, if you spend 40 years singing or 50 years, whatever, it's, it, it can leave you. Were, were there times when you lost your voice when you were performing? Yes, uh, yes, yes, there were, um, because I did a lot. I did a lot early on I did I overworked all my career so my young career too so you suffered a lot of vocal fatigue no not no. a lot just here and there here and there like for example if I did um, uh, say my first opera was Tosca and I'd never seen an opera before ever no. in my life and uh, I was asked to do this Tosca and of course, in those days, you do three or four performances a week, which was a lot. Operas, and now when I hear 
the there's a big uh, before she kills him Tosca runs around screaming out at the top of voice all these top seas ayuto ayuto means with help me help me you know before she kills him and uh, but now they just yodel it now a lot of singers you know and I think yeah they don't sing they just yell now which is far better than singing top seas all the time I suppose what, what sort of vocal maintenance did you practice? How did, how did you look after your voice? Did you do a lot of steaming? Um, no, resting? no, 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 no. There was no, none of that? No, 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 nothing like that. Only if you, uh, I, I suffered this... a lot from bronchitis right. as uh, through my life, but um, I used to have a bottle of Seneca and ammonia on the side of stage there and take a few sips of that. It's the cheapest cough medicine and it's become very fashionable now to have Seneca and ammonia. And it was, it, I still use it to this day when I get sick. Mind you, I don't have to sing, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> what was, uh, what is your first memory of being on stage, on a stage? My first memory of being on stage as a, I was a hairdresser. I'll, I'll go just back, abbreviate this very quickly so it won't become too boring. That I always wanted to be a hairdresser. I knew I was going to be a singer from a very early age. I was appearing on radio in sing things like Swallows Juniors and every radio program, which were, there were hundreds of them in my time, uh, you know, that you could go and sing and you earned money singing Well, them. this is a, a time pre-television also. Oh, yes. Yeah. No sign of television. We'd heard about it, but uh, never happened, you know. But those things, you became very big on radio because there were wonderful magazines called The Listener Inn and I think you can buy books now, which I don't buy to tell you what's happening. And people would write in, oh, I heard so-and-so this and articles on people so it had a following radio had a big following it was fantastic you know there was people on uh, that it enter competitions and they'd play the xylophone or something like that you know or the, the, the guitar and and then the mouth organ and wonderful people came on with trios of mouth organs it was a style of things you couldn't see it but people, I think, did see it in their listening on the radio. And I think they imagined that... That, that they were in the studio that, watching it. That it was. Yeah, That's yeah. right. And if you were very lucky, uh, there was one big paper out called The Listener Inn. And, uh, and you were really... It was good if you had somebody write in oh, I heard so-and-so sing the other night. Didn't think she sang as well as she did when she sang so-and-so. Wonderful. And you'd be buying these things and, and if you hit the front page and were on the cover, it was fantastic. Because you radio, know. of course, are a non-visual medium. Absolutely. So this was the first chance that listeners were able to view what the talent they were listening to looked yes, like. Yes, in, in these magazines. And they really did take it very seriously, the fans. We call them fans these days, but, you know, they were listeners, you know. And that's how uh, I, I, I used to go in every, uh, starting off on uh, Swallows Juniors, you used to go to 3DB every Saturday morning and sit on a chair and there was a wonderful pianist called Mabel Nelson and we'd sing all the hit parade. It was fantastic. So as a child, how did you become part of Swallows Juniors? Did they I have just, an open audition? No, just turned up. And uh, there's uh, uh, people like Patty Newton used to start there. She's a lot younger than I am. And there were a lot of people came through Swallows Juniors because we suddenly got television. So that Swallows Juniors did go on to, uh, to television. And I think it was uh, at that time uh, Brian Naylor, that dear man. The who, dear man, he, yes, he perished in the, in the, the bushfires, didn't he? Beautiful yeah. man. He was a newsreader on uh, that's right. Channel Seven oh, Melbourne for years. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. you know. Yeah. And those are the days when you'd be sitting there with the three DB waiting, and you'd see all these people, and the newsreaders wore suits as they were talking to a microphone. It was an, just a. a 
I don't know the word to call it a style that they were all dressed up in suits you know, in my time. And nobody saw them. It was all done on, on without no television, of course. But a lot of people, and then young talent time became, took over from Swallows Juniors and became a bigger thing and then went on to discover, well, Tina Arena is going to do a Vita for the uh, Opera, Opera Australia Company. at the moment. Well, she was a beautiful young talent time. Yeah, Debbie Burns. Yeah, Debbie Burns. Oh, well, wonderful. You know, yeah. there was fantastic. They were just very gifted and yeah. talented. But as a swallow, I, I guess you weren't really considering uh, singing as a professional career. Was it a hobby at the time, was it? Or did no, you... it was always a professional career. In so my it was something mind. you always wanted yes, to do? Yeah. I just knew. That or hairdressing? Yes. Well, I want to be a hairdresser, so my parents put me through a school, you know, where you pay to be taught to learn an apprenticeship. Learn, yes. Yeah. Well, you'd, I was not an apprentice. That took a long time to. To become but you learnt the basics. I yes, and I loved it. I loved every second of it. I loved it, but I uh, I worked for a very small salon, and then I always want to work at Maya. In my time, Maya in Melbourne was the most glamorous store that you could work in. Well, it was a glamorous period also. Oh. You think, you know, we think about entertainments at the moment. A film's about to come out called Ladies in Black, which I is know. I the saw film the version of the stage production. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so wonderful. We're all, but that's about, uh, it's about Grace Brothers, I think, which was the Sydney version of Maya, wasn't yes, it, at the time? Yes, yes. See, I, I'm from Melbourne originally, mm. so I knew that Maya... And then people came from all over Australia to look at Freddie Rasmussen's Christmas... Oh, uh, the window decorations. The window. Right. That was... They, he, he was, uh, you know, a star of, of Melbourne and a star of Myers. These people were, were as big as any star you'd, you know, that everybody knew Freddie Rasmussen did all these windows and they were like a theatre set to look at. Yeah. But I walked in there one day with a, a cousin of mine and I said, I'd love to work here. She said, let's see. I went up and I came downstairs with a job. And I was 18, and I stayed there 18, 19, 20. That's right. And that's where um, I met uh, the woman that was got me to the theatre, and her name was Lely Potter. I'm, I'm looking back now, she was just normal to me, but you know all that red-orange hair now that's famous? Yes. She had that oh. all those years ago. She used She'd to stand smoke out in the crowd. a cigarette and with a, her own cigarette. And she had her own booth. So this is at Maya? This is at they Maya. They had their own hair salon within the Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, right. Oh, it was very, very big. Mm -hmm. It was very big. They had three parts of hairdressing mm -hmm. uh, that did Maya. And, of course, hairdressing is a, an occupation which utilises the voice. Yes. You have to put your client well, at ease. You like, right. like conversation. That's, right. that's exactly yeah. right. But I used to do Lady Potter, her name was. And I think I must have told her that I do sing on the radio. But one day she said, Dad, what would you like to do? She spoke like that. I can still remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, one day I want to be in the theatre. And she said to me, all right. This is what she said. Next week. Bring some music next week. Meet me at the back of Myers, and I'll at, at one o'clock. So I took my lunch break, always waiting there. Here she is in a taxi. In a taxi? Wow, that's where I got addicted to taxis from that day on. And she took me to Her Majesty's Theatre, and I sang. They had a piano waiting for me to sing. Extraordinary, because Lady Potter did all the publicity at that time, which really didn't mean much to me for the Her Majesty's Theatre. Right. So she had all these people there to hear me. So so, so was this uh, an open audition for something or, or she set no, up the audition? No, she just a set it audition. up, a right. private audition right. when I told her I wanted to be in the theatre. And uh, so that was that. So I sang, they were very impressed, but My Fair Lady had just started. So there was no shows in the offering but come back one day, I'm sure there will be. 
But I've heard they may have been looking for replacement Eliza's also. No, no, I wouldn't think so. I think that would be all set up knowing right. now what, you know. what I knew yeah, then. Yeah. But anyhow, the next week, lo and behold, I did the same thing. She took me to the wonderful Princess Theatre and I auditioned there. Had she heard you sing before? No, not unless she heard me on the radio. On the radio, yes. I have a feeling she must have, because would they take a hairdresser that, I mean, I want to be a film star, and I mean, if you look like a dog, you're not going to be a film star, are you? No, she but must have, have a big career on the radio. Yes, but, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot, that's very funny. Oh, I like that. <laughs> but... I went and I sang, and this voice said, can you dance? And I said, yes, I can. I couldn't. You could do the Pride of Erin, probably. <laughs> but within a month, I was in Music Man. Ah. A month. Wow. I just had my 21st birthday, and I got a call back to say, I'm in the chorus of Music Man. Never heard of Music Man. Well, why would I? You know, yeah. in those days you... You were listening to pop music, I guess. You weren't listening to well, cast recordings. Well, not really. Or... I always had classical music on. Right, I okay. was, you know, a right. bit... But uh, once you're in the musical theatre, you know, for, if for the next few years what musicals are being done on Broadway, you know, because... Because they're coming out here. They're probably. coming out here. Mm -hmm. And so I was in... Uh, and I can remember a wonderful stage manager from the Princess Theatre, said to me that um, John Fernley, John Fernley did a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein's work in their book. He's mentioned a lot, this John Fernley. Was he in Australia? No, an no. American. So did he come out and stage he the show? He studied, he yes, he directed the show. And they, Harry Starling said to me, John Fernley wants you to look at um, Marion, the librarian, and I, for an understudy, I said, oh, Mr. Starling, what does understudy mean? He said this, that you look at the, you learn the star's role, because that's the starring role it was, just happened to be, um, and you do everything exactly the same as her, everything, voice, every movement. Well, of course, in that, there were huge dance routines in that. Well, I used to go to a rehearsal here and there, but too shy to act. And I used to go, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, nothing. And I think that my other people, looking back now, they must have thought, what's she doing? She'll never be able to, she's got nothing. But all of a sudden, I'm on within a month and a half or something like that. Never learnt the dances. These big routines of Marion in the library. library. Had, had you got to work with the company? Or the no, no, you didn't. You went no. on blind, really? Yes, you do. Yeah. You did. Yeah. We used to have the, or the, the course, but I was the audition, uh, the um, rehearsals. But I was too shy to say the dialogue. I used to say blah, 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 you know, and... And, the, and, and and you work with actors. I'd never acted before. Who was playing Harold Hill? Ted Scott. Ted, Ted Scott. Scott. An American. Right. And of course you've got a couple of love scenes and a, and a, a kiss. Oh, a beautiful song. There were bells on the hill, but oh. I never heard them ringing. What songs and what, what a song in My White Night. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were like arias. But you know, when you, you ask to speak about uh, um, uh, Princess Theatre, I, I think back and I'm thinking, how did I ever do these things? No experience whatsoever. Well, you have no fear in your youth, do you? I, I used to sit, stand beside uh, at the Printing Theatre and watch it from the side. That's where I learned to imitate her American accent yes. and her voice. Mm -hmm and pick it all up and learn the dialogue, you see. And and that's what my first show was Music Man and every other show that I was in, that's how I learned. That's how I learned the role, that's how I learned all my moves. 
You must be a good mimic, are you? Yes, I was then, I think. Well, when somebody says to you, you have to be exactly the same, I didn't know what a mimic was. I just tuned myself into this American accent. Mm. And, and I suppose, in the end, I copied her voice. Mm. She was a fabulous artist, fabulous singer, mm. fabulous artist. But something went wrong where she started missing performances. And uh, nobody talked to stars in those days. If you saw them coming, you'd have to stand out of their way and you'd always address them as Miss um, May. So it was like a class system. Oh, yes, very much so, very much so. Did you assume the role in the season at all, other than understudy? No, I came, we brought it up to Sydney, but it didn't last very long. And I think Dobbs Frank's wife, became Marion the librarian and she was an American and magnificent too. She was magnificent. I guess Dobbs was the MD, was he? No, No? he wasn't at that time. Uh, Verdon Williams, I think Verdon Williams, a conductor, an Australian conductor, was the conductor of Music Man then. That's right. And uh, Dobbs I met later on. I met him in the beginning because I think Tops came out to conduct West Side, West Side Story. Story. He did indeed, yes. And this is where, going to um, uh, when you uh, were asking, I was thinking of a lot of uh, people's names that uh, stayed, um, uh, that we met in those days. Like, um, do you know a Noel Tovey here in Australia? I've heard An the indigenous name, yes. boy. Yeah. Well, he was, he, I don't know whether he was in... Um, 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 West Side Side Story Story, but he certainly was in Music Man well you see he went on and he had a big career internationally directing that's right now Ronnie Arnold came out well I was just going down to mention Ronnie Arnold Mm. who was in Music Man and I think he was in Most Most Happy Fella too and he was one of the ones that stayed in Australia. And another person that came out from Europe, really, his name was Alvin Panic, you know. And all these dancers, that they were dancers. They, they were like big Giselles on the stage, you know. It was, it, it was just, and Ernie Parnham was another one. And Hayes Gordon. And Hayes Gordon. Mm. You know, I didn't know Hayes Gordon because he worked more with Williamson's. Uh, with when he first came out. Whereas you did a lot with Garnet Carroll. Did he do... No, no, you did a lot with Garnet Carroll. Oh, yes, which I did a lot with Garnet, yes. Let's come back to musical theatre. And uh, you grew up in Melbourne. Yes. Was it a musical household? Not really, but they liked music. But they gave me every opportunity. Every teacher that taught uh, talented children, I was there at the front door. (laughs) And yet my parents, they had money to pay for these lessons piano lessons and the piano and drive me everywhere but from a very early young age I used I earned a lot of money singing like um, there's the Masonic clubs you know being a Freemason those like they had ladies nights every Saturday night you know and you used to go and sing there and earn probably 20 pounds which going back in those days was quite a lot of money you know. So did your parents listen to classical music or did they go to opera? They, they used to follow me a little bit, but not too much, which was right. good. Because, you know, you said that you used to listen to a lot of classical musical music yes, growing up. Yes, So where did that come from? from How me. did you, you just discover uh, yes, that yourself? Yes. Right. Mm, yes, I did. Yes. Who were your idols growing up? Were they, were they singers or movie stars? Or? No. Um, at, at one time on the radio, I think they used to call me Australia's Deanna Dirt. That's not bad. Oh, if I was as pretty as Deanna Durbin, but I wasn't. <laughs> but I could sing like her, you know. Those are the sort of things that uh, you had said to you. It was amazing, really. Absolutely amazing. Uh, after the, the Swallows Juniors, you had a, a bit of a career on television, still Channel 7 with Sunnyside Up? Yes. Uh, yes, I did. How did yes. you get that gig? Was that a, a graduation? Well, from... no. Well, I won uh, this this Sydney Sun, uh, the Melbourne Sun Aria, and as part of the winning, you had to appear on Sunny Side Up because it was Herald Sun and the Sun Aria, you see, and it was on Channel Seven, 
and that was all connected with the, the paper of the Herald Sun. And so I went on as a guest. And uh, I stayed there for a long time. I, I sort of went away and then I came back and I was on every Friday. I used to sing with Neil Williams, a lovely man called Neil Williams. But I, was, I didn't like television much. It no, was, was a strain. Say, well, you have strain. to re... You know, you obviously had that... Uh, opera singers are, uh, have big voices and they fill big spaces. Yes. When you're on television, I guess you have to recalibrate your performance yes, size, do you? Yes, And that's the secret of television, that you, 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 it's not a theatre, it's a, a smaller form, like I'm talking to you now. Yeah, yeah. But that comes up like a big film on television. Yes. But it's, you know, you don't have to work very hard on television. No, it's a very intimate medium, isn't it? it? Is it's you and the viewer. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Yeah. And if you can come through that with your face and your thing, but it was a big strain. They Sometimes they'd say, oh, we want you to learn this song to go on tonight. So you'd have to sit in the room somewhere and learn this song. It just took a lot out of me. What sort of repertoire were you singing? Oh, I never sang up? opera. I never, never sang op opera. Right. No, I, I used to sing oh, lots, lots of pop songs and things. I loved all that. It was really fabulous. I really did like it. So were you starting to be recognised on the street? Yes. Yeah? You were having yes. a fan base? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's, that's another thing that uh, is... Uh, some people were natural to it. You know, there was beautiful Val Ruff and Shirlene Clancy. They were very big stars, you know, in, in, and people adored them. I, but it, to me, it was, um, it was tough work for me. Well, it can be quite intimidating, I guess. Yes. And, and if you're, if you're a shy person or... You know. Yeah, I was a bit. Yeah. But then I sometimes had a big mouth too. <laughs> <laughs> that was just me, I suppose. But no, it, um, it, I did Channel 9. I did a lot. You used to fly around. I used to come to Sydney and do a big show up here. Oh, the, it was fantastic. Yeah. That you, once you got on the roll... You could go to Brisbane and Perth and Adelaide, do their shows over there on television. It was fabulous, but tough. So you're understudying Marion the Librarian yep. and the Music Man. Uh, other shows followed The Man of La Mancha, Most Happy Fellas, no, Lock well, Up Your Ma Daughters. After um, Music Man, uh, I did Most Happy Fella with the wonderful, wonderful baritone a, a Maori baritone called Inia Tiwiata, who was uh, the first, uh, yes, yeah. was the first uh, Maori uh, baritone or a singer at Covent Garden. Wow. He was a very big star at Covent Garden. And he came out to do Most Happy Fella, which is from a book called uh, They Knew What They Wanted. Strange piece Frank Lodge now Frank Lozenge is not Lozenger that's a Frank Lesser Frank Lesser yes yes he wrote, wrote it yes, yes he wrote it but it was a it was more operatic mm. than the music man even though music man you had to have a full-on voice to sing those songs this one had very little dialogue very little dialogue it was also, it was almost like an opera sung through it was mm. it was and then the wonderful song, Standing on the Corner, Watching All the, the Bills Bye Bye, that yeah. came from that. And here's a, another thing that you, I was asked to understudy, Rosabella. It was uh, a, like a mail-order bride. He wrote away, that was the story. He, he's a rich plantation owner. He, uh, yeah, yeah. Of, of vino, of wine. But a in bit, the Napa Valley. But he's got a good face for radio, hasn't he? Yes. He's a bit plain. Yes, yes. that's right. So she answered the letter and he fell in love with Rosabella, which was a girl, a, an Australian girl called Barbara Lee, more an actress than a singer, but lovely. And she was a different type to Marion, um, um, Carol and May, but she was good. And they had people like Ron Jackson, played the, the lover that she fell in love with, the wonderful cowboy. Gosh, he was fabulous. Just come back from in England singing at the garden and he retired back here and I think he became a head of the uh, 
the um, conservatorium here for many years. He played, uh, and then there's a song in it called Stan, um, Oh, My Feet, My Poor, Poor Feet. And I can't remember, I'll have to think about that, her name. She was English, you know, and she, Stella Moray. She came out. Wow, wow. You see? So, and and this, was, this was a commercial season, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Which is extraordinary because I think if you put The Most Happy Fella on now, you'd be struggling to get people there. Unless it was Absolutely. done by the Opera Company or something. No, no, no. Not this even that, This is why I want okay. to talk about the wonderful Garner Carroll. Yeah. You see, we mentioned, or maybe we mentioned off radio, off mic, um, about Garner Carroll. Nobody talks about the Garner Carroll years because a lot of them weren't that successful. Now, for example, West Side Story, which I think is going to be done somewhere in Australia this year. Mm. Not too sure. Yes, yes, it is, it being, is? Done. It is being done. Well, yes. of course, when that was done, I wasn't in theatre. But when I went into theatre, I heard stories of saying nobody knew uh, who the composer was. Nobody knew, and they say they were real gangs. They were real gangs off the street of New York. And Melbourne people didn't know too much about musical theatre. This was all new, and um, it was fantastic. And uh, wait, I'm, I'm lost it for a minute. I'll just stop there. With Garner Carroll. With Garner Carroll. Garner Carroll brought that yes, out. Yes, bringing out these new, innovative... That's right. ...experiences. And, I mean, we know now what a genius the composer was. Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein. Stephen Sondheim. S Stephen Sondheim, you know, and to... But it didn't... It failed miserably. But West out Side of Story. It, oh, yes. Wow. It didn't last that long. But out of it... We had Noel Tovey and and, um, and Ronnie Arnold live in Australia. Yeah. How lucky we were to have these fantastic people. Who have stayed and contributed to our Absolutely. industry. Absolutely. My friend uh, um, Alban, you know, they all stayed and went from show and became teachers. And these were, you know... Uh, Ronnie Arnold, they, he, he was an African-American. We hadn't seen many African-Americans around today, you know, in those days. In those days yeah. Garner Carroll even brought out Alvin Ailey. Oh, the whole company. The whole company, is... and you know when it was? At, he put it on at six o'clock. Nobody went to theatre at six o'clock. But I can remember I was the only one standing in the corner. I don't know why. I don't think I was that bright that I... She'd say, stand there and you'll learn everything. But I s used to go in every night at six and to watch Alvin Ailey's doing wading in the water, wading in the water with all these black African dancers. I mean, it was... That didn't last very long at all. Wow, wow. We had to educate our audiences. Yes. Now, I must admit, uh, for many, many years, I've assumed that the Garnet Carroll organisation was run by Mr Garnet and Mr Carroll. It wasn't until conversing with you recently that I discovered and, and lapped up all the information that he was a man, an empresario, a producer yes. of many great things. So tell me about Garnet Carroll. Garnet Carroll was, must have been the one, maybe he was the one that said, can you dance <laughs> earlier on than him? When I took over the lead, I see now, you don't see it at the time because you're new to the business. I mean, you just went on and did a job, you know, and if somebody said to you, you were really good, oh, thanks, thanks, you know. But Mr Carroll must have seen more in me. So he made sure, I can see that now, but I used to just think I auditioned and I got in through my audition. But the next show was Most Happy Fella. Or was it Most Happy Fella or Lock Up Your Daughters? Can't remember. But I auditioned for that and I got into that. I studied the lead. Well, you wouldn't believe, went on for that. Went on for the lead for Rosabella. Fantastic. Yes. So he saw something in me that this is what this man used to do. He, he had a wonderful secretary 
And you must, these people that worked for Garner Carroll in the box office and all the backstage crew, and they had their own uh, couturier, Madame Beddoes, little old lady called Madame Beddoes, who made your costumes. That was all done. And these people were as if they owned part of the theatre. You had your best... They were just so extraordinary, making you beautiful costumes to make you look good. But Mr Carroll obviously looked after his staff, so they wanted to yes. do the best jobs that they could Absolutely, for but they loved it. They loved it. I see that now. Can I read you a quote? Yes. In 1955, he bought Sir Rafe Richardson out in yes. the play Separate Tables. Yes. And Sir Rafe described him thus. Garnet is not the kind of manager who is pictured with a big cigar and his feet up in the office. He physically does the hopping about on his own feet, and he does what is supposed he might do. He manages. He could always make me laugh, and there were times on tour when that can be the best tonic in the world. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, I was, as I say, 21 when I started, and by this time I, would, I was 22, when Mr Carroll's secretary would come down and say, uh, Maureen, Mr. Carroll wants you to come up and have a cup of tea. Oh, oh, up to his office. Right. And and in, I think in the end he started calling me Missy. Missy would trundle up there, and he'd just have a cup of tea and some scones, and I'd sit there, and uh, he'd just talk about something, and that's how it was. But I thought that happened to everybody, right. but it didn't. But you obviously appreciated your your talent and your your well, uh, I suppose. your personality, your friendship. Yes, and then came uh, we did uh, lock up your daughters right. with High Hazel out from London. Right. She came out mm. to do uh, to play, and the man that came out was called, and now his name is going right out of my brain. Richard Wo Richard Wordsworth. Oh yes, yes. He. he terrified me he terrified me what because he was a proper actor well yes and he directed it oh okay right. and that's where garnet must have asked the wonderful dobbs franks to write me a little aria to pop in lock up your daughters fantastic um garnet carroll was a son of a country dentist you told me that i didn't yeah, know that in my research i, I did that and he, he ran away and joined show business um, and he was a performer, first of all. Was he? He, he did shows like No, No, Nanette and Rio Rita. Right. Before he moved into I management. I heard tell that Kitty, his wife, was a dancer. Yes, Catherine Stewart Elliott. Yes. But these people, you know, they, they obviously loved the theatre and they, they were human. I think the, uh, the firm had... Big so connections is, overseas. This is JCW. JC Williamson was yep. called the firm. They didn't have that, you know. I mean, they had the wonderful Betty Pounder and all that, but it was a different. Mind you, I didn't work with them much. They maybe they were the same as Carol's. I don't know, but I just knew that Carol's were just human. But he was producing uh, musical theatre, you know, contemporary dance like Elvin Ailey, classical ballet, Shakespeare. Plays, this concerts. Is, this is why I want somebody. Mm. I've asked a couple of friends of mine that they should write a book about carols. But maybe it's too late. Oh, it's never too late. Don't you think? No. Because this man, I went down and I could hardly wait to go down for their big anniversary. Oh, not long after my husband died. So it's about oh, 18 years. 14 years ago and I couldn't wait to get down there to see all those backstage people and see that feel that her, uh, princess yeah. theatre because it had all been done up by that wonderful uh, family mm. that, 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 that done it up and to see all those backstage people but he had they had pamphlets all over the, the, the front near the box office and everywhere and when I sat and looked and you mentioned who you mentioned there about the Mariners? Or? Yes, no, the um, the people from London that he bought out to do Sir Rafe was it? Oh yes, yes, Sir Rafe Richardson. Sir Rafe big, Richardson. Big, big names. I mean, you know, they were big stars. Yeah. In yeah. those times. Yeah, absolutely. So and to... and all those plays he put on, 
and he was a private entrepreneur. Well, I'll tell you, you know. what, look, it's never too late to write a book. I, I Earlier in the podcast series, I interviewed a man called Peter Fitzpatrick, who's just written a double biography of Frank Thring Sr. and Frank Thring Jr. Right. Which is, that, that's been a long-awaited story yes. to be told. So, yes. Um, but I suppose that, well, Frank Thring, I met him once. What a charming man. Everybody's this speaks. Is a senior or junior? It's a junior. 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 Right. And um, I met him once and I, I he was... He used to be on television a lot and he was very, well, you know, he's a film star and, and a great personality. But but they're more of a public personality. Yes. I don't know whether they'd be interested in somebody like Garner Carroll or maybe, well, I don't know. contributed don't know. a tremendous amount. I But somehow he was lost. Well, he died prematurely, didn't he? He died well, well before his time. Well, he seemed an old man when I used to go up and have tiny right. tea and tiny cakes with him, you know. Right. Well, he, he, was, he, he suffered diabetes, so oh, he, sh- he shouldn't right. have been eating those cakes. Well, his son, John Jr., right. was a big boy. Right. He died young. Right, okay. He died young. Well, um, uh, coronary vascular disease got Mr. Carroll in the end. Ah, right. As well as diabetes, right. so, you know. Right. So it, it pays to uh, to look after yourself, doesn't it? Yes, I'll say. Well, how do you look after yourself? Do you go to the gym or do you walk? Or? No, but I, mean, I don't climb trees now and I've <laughs> fallen out too many trees. I love to cut down trees. Look, I just keep going. I walk. I haven't got a car, so I walk a lot. And uh, garden and, and apart from a couple of things at the moment, my health's not too bad. After a career in musical theatre, you discover that you might have a voice for opera, and you indeed move into opera. How did that happen? Well, I, I well, by that time I'd won the Sun, Sunaria. Yes. And the Sun, when I won the Sunaria, the people weren't the Sun people weren't happy. My last show was Sound of Music, with the wonderful, wonderful June Bronhill. Can I tell you just a quick story about June Bronhill and Mr. Carroll? Mr. Carroll said, oh, he's Anne, his secretary, said, Mr. Carroll will pick you up out the front. He took me down to the Tivoli Theatre where on stage they were, there were lights and things and I was sitting there thinking everybody did this. <laughs> and on stage there was a woman with blonde hair and a mauve um, mohair jumper, tiny. And next to her was a rather dolly-looking blonde man, tall. And I sat there and he said, girly, he said, this is a star. I said, oh, what's her name? (laughs) And he said, June Bromhill. I don't know, and I don't know what I said then, but I said, oh, what's this show called, Mr. Carroll? The Merry Widow. Wow. He bought the Saddler's Wells Company out, starring June Bronhill, that she saved the Saddler's Wells Company in London when they put it on. She made so much money for them. He bought her out. And it was June Bronhill's rehearsal that I was watching. And he said this to me. You should look and learn a lot, you know, from her. Guess what? He put me in the chorus, but not the understudy because it had already been done. And um, he, uh, he said, you, you can learn. He put me in the chorus. And so I was working in the chorus every night with these. And a lot of the people that came out were from Saddler's Wells too. And but to to be able to sort of watch this yeah, watching a masterclass a masterclass every night yeah. every night and listening 
you know. Now, of course, you went on to work with June quite a bit, didn't you? Yes, we did. Uh, when uh, most uh, well, we later did uh, music. Ma- um, Sound, of, Sound music. of music, which I covered her, and oh. guess what? Went on. You went on. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, I went on for her quite a lot, and then something happened that um, I can't quite remember now, but she got sick. And Garnet Carroll called me up because I was going to go to Perth to do The Merry Widow in Perth with people, another cast coming out from England. And June got sick, so he called me up. What do you want to do, girly? Do you want to go to Perth and sing The Merry Widow? <laughs> or do you want to stay in Melbourne and do Sound of Music? Well, at that time, I'd entered for the second time the Sonaria. I went in it the first time and I was 18 and I got to the semi-finals. But in the meantime, Music Man and Theatre came in. So, and I would just turn 23, 20, 24, 23 when I entered and 24 when I sang for the Sonaria. And I said, well... Seeing that I've entered the Sonaria, I think that I'll stay here, Mr. Carroll. God. So Maureen stayed here and went and was going to go on and take over from June for a while. But Peter, uh, now what's his name? Peter, can't remember his name, who played Von Trapp. He was married to, and now I'm going to have another blackout. Um, uh, a wonderful, very famous Ivan Novello singer, Vivian, uh, no, Lee, Bar- not Barbara Lee. Oh, it might come to me. You'll have to look that up. We'll look it up. We'll look yes. It up. Um, she was probably a bigger star than June right. because she did all the Ivan Novello. And he wanted his wife to do it, which, why wouldn't he want why his wife he? to, yeah. for yeah. God's sake? So I, that was happy with me. But she was a mature woman, put it that way. But I used to stand on stage and watch her every night. And guess what? I took over. <laughs> I took over her because yeah. I covered her, you see. Yeah, yeah. And she didn't do all the performances, so I, I did the rest. Fantastic. Well, um, you obviously had a good working relationship with June. Yes, we did. Generous performer? Did she give you advice when you had a takeover? No, never. No? No. She let you do your own thing? She let you do, yes. Great. And uh, when I did, um, now I can't think of the the musical that we did firstly with, um, when we went into the opera company. She did um, Don Pasquale and the um, music, man was called Rosalinda Deflater Mouse. I did Rosalinda and she played the maid in Deflater Mouse. But she went up one up on me. We would work every night Deflater Mouse, every night. But I'd have a rest in between and she would do um, Don Pasquale with with some of these singers from the Australian Opera. Well, it was put out by the Australian Opera. Neil William and Neil Warren Smith and Ron McConaughey and fantastic. It was fantastic, absolutely fantastic oh, to watch her do that. I, I can imagine, I can imagine. Because I'd never seen her do opera, you see. Right. Any musicals, okay. you see. Yes, mm. yes. an operetta. Mm. Yes. Uh, the great thing about the, these conversations is uh, six degrees of separation. You yes. Know, artists still no, that are no longer with us, we can I can talk to my guest about yes, them. Yes. We've done it with June. I know you were also a great friend of Suzanne Steele. Oh, yes. Tell me about Suzanne Steele. Sue was an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary person. She came from very humble beginning, very and funny you bring her name up. I didn't expect to talk about her today. Isn't it strange? I don't know why. Um, but we we were very close. We were very close. You'd worked a bit together? We the, She came into the opera company. I met her when she did Man of La Mancha. She had a big success with that, didn't well, she? Well, she was the only Aldonza. one. She was the only one, except uh, later on, um, 
the the Australian lass that's done Chicago and things. She did with Anthony Warlow. They did. Uh, she Carolina Connor. It's Carolina Connor. And Jodie Gillies did a, an earlier version with Jeffrey Chard. Down in I Melbourne. didn't see that. Right. I didn't see that yeah. because I think Sue was dead by then. Right. Um, but uh, I met Sue because she was coming into the opera company. She wanted to meet me because a friend of mine was in Man of La Mancha. So I went round to her house. And when I walked into this house, it was like a Hollywood house. It was so glamorous and white carpet and chandeliers. Hence the chandeliers. She helped me buy these chandeliers here. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> in each room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people think they're crap these days, but I'll swing on them till I die. <laughs> um, and I met her, but we were really close. Really close. Did she come out for Man of La Mancha or what, she, what brought her to she, Australia? She came out... I She came out for Orpheus and the Underworld for carols. That's what she played Diana. That's right. See now, this is coming back. I suppose when she died, I missed her terribly. We were very close. How did she die? Yes, she got cancer too. Oh mm. dear, dear. Yes. She was sitting in that room there one day right. and uh, she said, oh, Moise, I've got a sore knee. I said, well, go to the doctor. We were doing the Debbie Reynolds exercises. I just got this DVD tape. And she was mad for exercises because she had a body like Bridget Bardot. You know, and she used to pummel her legs to keep them thin, you know. And, but, and I said, go to the doctors. Well, she did. And she rang me. She said, I think I've got cancer. Oh, but no. she didn't tell anybody. Yep, you couldn't tell anybody for a long, long time. But she did have it. And she had her leg operated on. Because, but in that meantime, she found God. Right. Well, she had spiritual support well, to get her through. Well, look, my, when, when my husband went to Melbourne, he used to live in another part of the house. And he used to go to church every Sunday. He was a Catholic. But he'd slip out the back way because she'd say, Oh, you know, one week she was Catholic, the next minute she was Prado, and the next minute she'd be wearing the Star of David round. That's, you know. But I tell you, when she got this cancer and when she became this born-again Christian, I must say it changed her a lot, that we didn't dig how it changed her, but we loved her for it. But she, she was an extraordinary thing, a singer, she was an extraordinary artist and uh, she was a very, very, very big star in Melbourne. They adored her. She didn't come up here much. But when she did music, uh, Man of La Mancha was written for Sue. Man of La Mancha was written for Sue. Great. I wish I'd seen it. It was extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, l later on, she married, but we'll leave that little bit out but during that season of uh, that time she was married she wanted to put on Man of La Mancha again right. with Charles West who was the most extraordinary Don Quixote mm. you would ever see to listen to him do that dialogue every night that dialogue every night was extraordinary was he an Australian uh, an English, English a B-grade actor you know those B-grade I love B-grade English movies I watched one last week mm. I started at 11 o'clock and I sat down for 5 minutes and I was still watching it at uh, 10 minutes past 2 it was fabulous well you know and lots of those people came and went on to become sirs 20 years later in these B-grade movies but he was wonderful he was a wonderful man, not a friendly man, but that doesn't mean. But apparently, they auditioned. They took all singers from all around the world, like Keith Michelle, I think, did Man of La Mancha. I'm sure he did, and did it all on Broadway. And John Charles West was picked the best one. He was extraordinary, but Sue was absolutely extraordinary. It was written for her. I often think that um, that Geraldine Turner. Yep. would have been a great Aldonza, a great Aldonza mm. without without flattering her in any way because I've seen the best. Yeah, brilliant. And, yeah. And, and, and Sue was. She was extraordinary. But then she could 
turn around and do her calm. And that's when she came into the company after that and did uh, calm. And, and that's when we, and we did, um, no, we did Cav and Pag. I did Pagliacci and she did Cav. And that's how we were friends right up till she died. Mm. You built up quite a repertoire of opera roles. Yeah. Madame Butterfly, Tosca, Don Giovanni, Cavalleria, Rusticana, yeah. uh, La Boheme yeah. as, as a Madame, Musetta. Uh, yes. Um, now, what was the other one? Um, not. Uh, I didn't do Cav. Uh, um, Sue did Cav. Sue. Right. Yeah. Okay, I sorry. did Pagliacci. Right. I right. did Pagliacci. Yeah, 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 yeah. Venus uh, and Tannhäuser. I've done a lot. And then back at the opera in recent years, in, in Lady Macbeth and, yeah. and The Witch and Hansel yes, and Gretel. Yes, yes, How was that returning to the opera company? Well, I met Brian Castle's Onion, right. you know, and, and then, you know, and I started just working with him and uh, I went back to a teacher of mine called John Germain at the time. And uh, lo and behold, they wanted an understudy. <laughs> And by that time, I would never have understudied. I never understudied after I left the musical theatre. Right. As I said to John McCullum when I went and auditioned for the, the Sutherland season, I'd won the Sun Aria and I had all these musicals behind me. And I went and auditioned for him for the Sutherland season. And I got in, of course. And... Somebody from the audience that day said, look after the middle of your voice. I thought, what's she talking about looking after the middle? Well, with experience, you do realise. I don't know who it was. But when I went to meet uh, Mr McCullum, he, I said, oh, well, Mr McCullum, what roles am I playing? <laughs> and he said, oh, no, you're only in the chorus. I said, oh, Mr McCullum, I can't accept chorus work. I can't. I've done my, you know, taking over all the leads in the musicals. Oh, no. Anyhow, he said, you go away. And I think I was getting more money on television. Not that I can remember how much. But I thought, hmm, if I'm not starring in opera like I want to star in opera, just stay on the television. Mm. So that's what I did. Big mistake as Julia Roberts says in that movie. Uh, what's she called? Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. Mm. Big mistake when she went back to the dress shop because I think I would have had a far different career in classical music, perhaps if I'd have met the Bonnings, you know, with Richard. Yeah. Because yeah. He, was, he, he was very good to talented people. Or he might not have thought I was talented, but, you know. That, that, that's, that's life, isn't it? That's, that's careers. It's all but I don't care. Sliding doors, isn't it? Yeah, it depends on I what don't care. door you choose yeah. to walk through. Because maybe I might have... I remember June Bronhill, when she left uh, finally to go back home, she asked me, would I come back and be a nanny to Biddy, her daughter Carolyn? And at that time, I had things that, uh, in my family that uh, I couldn't go. And perhaps if I had have gone there, I might have ended up a fairly good singer and I might never have come back and then I might not have met my husband. So exactly. Might have, so, could have, would have, should have. Who knows? That's exactly Who right. Who knows? Is there a role that you didn't, haven't played that you would like to have played? Um, no, not really. No. no, not really. I would have liked to have done more... Um, Coloratura, but I went into the very big Verismo roles, perhaps. But when I didn't, um, Lady Macbeth, that had a lot of coloratura in it, and uh, and and I thought, oh, maybe I could have done sort of something like that. I never wanted to play Mary Widow, ever, and yet I had so many times offered to do Mary Widow. I always wanted to play Valenciennes. And the last time it was offered to me, June rang and said, I'm going to do The Merry Widow again. And I thought, oh, she wants me to do Valenciennes. But no, just to cover her. <laughs> because it was all going to be done by a, a, a private, you know, how they put them on privately. Uh, I don't know who was backing her. But she had to have somebody to go over and take over her 
be able to step in and keep the curtain up. That's all you had to do is keep the curtain up, you know, so. What was the, the last work that you did on stage? Your the last song. work was um, uh, I covered I covered June Sue in uh, Man of La Mancha when she did it again. She wanted me to play the niece, but in the sh the show the niece has to cover Alonza. Right. That's how it works. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to know could I act? I suppose I've been in opera so long. This is how it was in my time. Yeah. If you were a musical comedy singer, you were never ever called upon to even think that you would be an opera singer. It's true. Yeah. And then when you sing opera for so long, it's a different sort of style. It's a, it, of course it is. Uh, they want to know, but oh no, she's an opera singer. Opera singers can't act. I mean, I've heard that story a thousand times. I mean, a lot of singers don't have to act if they've got wonderful voices and wonderful costumes and singing a wonderful piece, you know, of music. You know, it's, it's, it, it, that, but that's how it was in my time. Well, acting scared you during The Music Man. Well, I was too shy. It was... How did you go by the end? Did you, were you a reasonable actor, do you think? I can't rehearse. If somebody... I went and worked with Curie DeCano, a singing teacher in London. And she said to me one day, darling, if I had not known you were very, maybe, oh, I'll drop the Hungarian accent. I know you do very, <laughs> see, there's that mimic coming through. <laughs> if you hadn't told me you would, were an experienced artist, so I didn't tell her, Yanni Strasser, a singer, that, a, a man from Glyndebourne, uh, rang her and asked, would she take me? That's how posh she was. It was very hard to get in. But he, on his say, she took me because she had Kiri Dukana, you know, in those days. Anyhow, she said, if I hadn't seen you, know that you had a successful, I would never think you walked on the stage. But that's how I am, you know. I rehearsed ter terribly. Do you miss performance? No, I don't think so. No, you, do, you feel that you did all that you needed to do? Yeah. Yeah. And I was that's up great. there. That's great. That's a really fortunate yeah, I went, position I to was be up in. there. Yeah. And then I was down there. Right. And then I climbed up again. Yeah. And as the song says, my husband was here, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. And it's true. Fantastic. Ryan, thanks for chatting to oh, stages right. today. Um, it's been absolutely delightful. I hope I've mentioned everybody that, that uh, I've met in my, my life and, and that have been there, you know. No, I it's, think you've done a pretty good job. Yeah, oh, well, thank you. Oh. There's more on the bottom of your page. What's this here? Oh, I kept this. Can we put this in? We can. Go ahead. Remember me going back to uh, uh, the listener in and yes, things yes, like that? Yes. Well, you've got fans. And as I was going through, I ripped up stuff that my niece and that... They won't want to go through, you know, so this, it's this all gone. This is your gone. box of clippings yes, and cuts. Yes, yes, yes. I've just kept a few. And the other day I got a big pot, a garden pot, and I set it all alight with matches. It's one you that'd didn't be... see it burning in <laughs> but your But that would be very cathartic for you too, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I went through this because I wanted to put all those, you know, things on to remember... But can I read this to you? Yeah. Mr. Sinclair, John Sinclair was a critic, a fiendish critic in Melbourne. And sometimes he didn't like you. I don't think he really ever liked me. Is this a fan letter? This is a fan letter right. for, for this. And it's got Mr. Sinclair, and I didn't notice Sydney. I don't know why. The Elizabethan Theatre Trust has a great world quality star in Miss Maureen Howard. Perhaps I shouldn't have read that. I think we know who. Uh, yes, yeah. well, I shouldn't have. <laughs> I shouldn't have read it. Critics in all the cities of Australia, including Melbourne, um, agree the costume in Melbourne uh, that would uh, all the critics in Australia, including Melbourne, would. Um, agree that the, that Ma Madame Butterfly's costumes were very authentic. They were made 
under the supervision of authentic Japanese and hand-painted by them also. So I do not see where you are in a position to criticise seeing, saying they're not authentic. I suggest you buy the Canberra Times to read up on this matter. <laughs> I hated your review and don't think you were in the right mood when you see talent and opera. I rather feel sorry for you. If you cannot enjoy things anymore, I enclose something that might help <laughs> from a Howard fan. But look what he's got, photostat of Epsom salts. <laughs> 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 you see, how did, how did you get this? Who was the Howard I fan? I don't know where it came from. Right. I don't know. But that's fantastic. So, uh, somebody there, a gallant knight, your white knight, <laughs> to defend you. <laughs> but you see, that's how people were. Yeah. You didn't know them because they didn't know what you were looking like. It wasn't until television that yeah. every Friday night they'd be sitting there, keep your sunny side up, up, and they'd be waiting to see all their... their their singers, they were dedicated fans. And God, weren't we lucky? Lucky. But really. I got, you know, it was it was an extraordinary time that probably a lot of people will think, oh, get over it. Well, I have got over it, but uh, you ask and so I told and you. I received. Thank you. Thanks, Maureen. Thank you. Have you subscribed to Stages yet? Do so and keep up to date with every new guest episode as it is released. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts and through Wooshka. And please take the time to rate and review the podcast in the iTunes directory. It helps to grow our audience and reach more stages listening. I'm Peter Ayers and catch you next time on Stages. Wooshka.